Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. One of the things I noticed in, in the Vietnamese culture is that when it comes to traveling, being in route somewhere, they don't like to follow anyone else. When you come up behind, I mean, even if they're going as fast as what you think you should be going, if, they, if you're ever traveling and you come up behind another vehicle, immediately the horn starts blowing and you start looking for a way to get around them. There's something about that culture and the driving habits that says, I, I gotta hurry up, I've got to move. We live in a fast pace in our world today. Everything is hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. It seems like you're always uh, feeling like you're running behind. You're not where you really thought you would be at this point in your life. And we, we have a question that says, how, how can I live my life where I'm not just under pressure, where I feel like I gotta rush, hurry up? I believe we're living in a day of acceleration like never before. And accelerate means to speed up, to move faster, to increase, to bring about at an earlier time. There are events taking place in our nation and the world. It's not just day by day now, but it's moment by moment, an extreme acceleration. We see it in inventions, technology, world events, politics. Things are happening so fast you just can't keep up with it. Now, However, we know that fast is not always best. Fast is not always a good thing. When it comes to the growth of a, of a human being, the birth of a child, there's a reason they call it full term, go full term. It takes a process and a time, and it's best to go full term because there's development taking place. When it comes to education, uh, you, you don't skip four or five levels at one time, although they might have some advanced students. Still, it's a process, and you have to learn things one by one, precept upon precept. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have the fastest surgeon or the best surgeon? Fast is not always best. Short stops are not always best either. Going back to the uh, Vietnamese experience again, since it's kind of still on our minds, is that I can think of one short stop that, one shortcut that we took that was not the best, in my opinion. We had traveled three and a half to four hours up the Ho Chi Minh Trail. That was the pathway that we took. And traveled up into the mountains there at the boarding school. It seemed to be at the end of the road, so to speak. But it wasn't quite the end of the road because we left from there and continued in that direction in what uh, our, uh, the person that, uh, the staff member there that uh, said, I, I have a shortcut. I know a shortcut. We can get back faster. Well, I'm still here to declare that shortcuts are not always the best idea. We see people take shortcuts when it comes to uh, manufacturing and so you get inferior products. Sometimes there are just some things that it, it just takes time. 
But also, there's some times when, and I don't know, I, I feel like everyone here could identify with this. There's just some times when you just want to slow down. You just want to hit the pause button and say, let me off the, let me off the merry-go-round of life and let me just take a moment. I want, things are going too fast in my life. I just want to slow down a little bit. Uh, and that, that can be a good thing. Stop and smell the roses. Learn to value the moment. There are times just to wait. But for the believer, we should wait expectantly because patience is a virtue even though it's not always easy. So we have this, this, this tension that's behind hurrying and getting things done in between just sitting still and doing nothing. And so there, there are times that we feel like that we're kind of stuck and we're getting nowhere and then there's times that just feel like we're in a rat race. It's interesting to find a balance between progress and accomplishing and still maintaining an inner peace and calm. Jesus could do this. You'll not find any example, at least I haven't found any, not one example in the scripture where it seems that Jesus was in a hurry. But he was always on time even if the people that, that uh, he was with didn't think he was on time. He was always on time, never in a hurry. And I'm thinking, dear God, isn't that a great way to live? To where you don't feel rushed and yet you're on time. You're doing the things that you know you should be doing. Well, now, the secret that, of Jesus was, was, is really no secret. It wasn't because he's the son of God. He's because that he, the Son of God, was also the Son of Man, human being, and he listened to his Father, Father God. He listened to his Father. He did those things which he saw his Father do or that, that God the Father gave him to do. And that's the source of that kind of inner uh, peace and yet be able to make progress in your life without feeling rushed. Oh, one, I think one of the ways we could describe it, you go all the way back to Proverbs chapter uh, 3, very familiar passage in the beginning of verse 5. Here's, here's how to get to that place in your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, every affair of life, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Give him his due place in your life and he shall direct your paths. Amplified Bible says he will make your paths straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a good thing? Amen, Amen it is. Uh, and yet I've also noticed that some people seem to be in a hurry all the time when, you, when you're around them. Have you ever been around people that just make you nervous being with them? Because everything's in a rush and it's like they're heavy on the caffeine. There's a lot of activity in business, but they're really not getting anywhere, not very much forward progress. I think much of my life I can, I can see that there was something inside of me that just felt like I was always playing catch up, that I just wasn't where I needed to be. And that's something we have to deal with because there's no true satisfaction or peace or joy if we let that thing get a hold of us and we don't feel like we're getting 
where we need to be in life. And ask a question this morning in this first part of the three-part series on supernatural acceleration. I asked the question that we need to all ask ourselves, and that is, what is holding us back? What might be holding us back? The enemy likes to hold you back from fulfilling God's purpose for your life, doesn't he? He likes to keep you from getting in that place where you can walk in the blessings of God and accomplish his purpose, his will. And the Holy Spirit has made a way, and God's word is such a way of working in us that it replenishes us, and it gives us a new energy. It energizes us to move ahead and to get to the place where we know we are where God wants us to be. How many of you really want to live your life where you know you're where God wants you to be? Wow. I'm going to give you a couple little examples, and I'm, I'm not going to proof text them or try to <clears throat> use them to prove this one point because, you know, there's some scripture you can read and you just, it's, it's just like it's there. The, the, the point is there. You can take the spiritual truth and make a real practical application with it. Then there are some that there are, uh, you can read and you see truths in it and you can make all kinds of different spiritual applications to it and yet you don't want to really stretch it to make it mean something that the scripture really doesn't say. And I don't think that I'm doing that in these two scriptures I want to get to because although we're going to talk about a, a, a lot of examples of divine speed and acceleration over the next couple of weeks and how God wants to release things in our life. Uh, today I want to start with two simple examples in the ministry of Jesus. We pick up first of all with John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, you read about the first miracle that Jesus performed, that we have regularly performed, the first of the signs that, uh, that were given through him. Anybody remember what we say is this first miracle? What was it? Yes, turn the water into wine. <clears throat> John chapter 2. <clears throat> now, they were at a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' and disciples uh, had been invited to this wedding, and the mother of Jesus was there. Something happened. They ran out of wine. And so, for whatever reason, evidently, I don't know whether it was family members' wedding or what it was, but, the, but Jesus' mother felt some type of responsibility that something needed to be done about it. So she went to Jesus. She went to her son, Jesus. She knew that he was different. <laughs> she went to him and said, uh, Jesus, they have no more wine. I love, you know, some people think he's being rude to his mom in the next statement where. In many translations it says, woman, what does that have to do with me? <clears throat> but uh, I think we could uh, basically see the spirit of the word there through several translations. Jesus said to her, dear woman, what is that to you and me? My time, what does he mean by that? My time to act and be revealed as to who I am has not come yet. Now, you get the picture Mary comes to Jesus and says, we've got a problem here. We need to take care of it. Jesus says, well, it's, Mom, it's really not the right time yet. But as you know, a real, real, real mom doesn't always, you know. <laughs> she, she responds to that and says, uh, turns to the servants there and says, it's almost like she didn't hear what Jesus said. And she turns to him and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And then the fascinating thing that happens after that, and I know that's something that's been, that we've heard about most of our lives. Verse 5 says, uh, whatever he says to you, do it. Verse 6 says, now, 
there were six stone water uh, pots. Now these, these were big water containers that they oftentimes used for ceremonial cleansing. You know, the, 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 the Jewish people were always going through cleansing or purification uh, ceremonies. And these were there in the house for that. But uh, he said to draw uh, some, draw some uh, fill them up with water. And he says, fill them to the brim. Fill them all the way up to the brim. And in verse 8, then he, Jesus, said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Now, I kind of project myself into the place of being one of those servants. It's my responsibility to serve and take this to the master of ceremonies, take it to the one, the host, the one that's, up, that's in charge here. And I have just observed or even, or even participated in pouring just water into these. And now Jesus says, take it and give the master of this wedding, take it and give them the drink. I wonder what they were thinking on the way. So they're in the process and they go, you know the account, they go to the, to the master there and uh, he gets a drink from this water and he says, this is the best wine that you've served all night. Most of the time, most of the time that doesn't happen. You don't save the best wine to last. You serve the best wine at the beginning because then they get so drunk they don't know what they're drinking at the end of the feast, whether it's good or bad. But you serve the very best. You give the best that you have at the beginning, but you've saved the best for last. A miraculous event. Do you see here that we could, without stretching the scripture, see an example of a supernatural acceleration? There were no grapes as far as we know in these containers. But something happened between the water pot and the master. Something happened in a few moments that absolutely supernaturally transformed water into the best wine. There was something, there was something creative about that. Something that was humanly impossible, but it happened quickly. Amazing. Wine production took place from the water pots to the governor. Mark says in Mark chapter 10, verse 27, that what's impossible with man or that's not humanly possible is possible with God. Nothing too difficult. You've got to get this down inside of you. Nothing is too difficult for your God. Nothing. I want you to look at one other example that I think is interesting in, uh, with the life of Jesus and going on to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now, what's happened up to this point? There's been the, the miraculous, supernatural feeding of 5,000 men or about 10, 12,000 people total from just a, a few fish and, and loaves of bread. Absolutely Miraculous! This has just happened. And, and when this happens, the people are so taken by this, so amazed. They have the, they have the, the very uh, understandable response to it. What was that? They wanted to bow before him and say, you're the prophet. 
You're the king that's been promised. And they wanted to, to exalt him into a place of being the, the earthly ruler, the, the Messiah that had come to pull down uh, the Roman government and to begin to exercise authority over the entire world. You see, that was the misconception of most of the people, uh, the, most of the Jewish people that day. The misconception was that when the Messiah came, that he would be coming to bring deliverance to the nation of Israel and take up uh, uh, rulership uh, as king uh, over the nations. Now that will happen, but that's his next coming. That will happen. They didn't understand this time in between where he would come as suffering servant to die on the cross instead of the reigning and ruling king that would judge. They missed that at that point in time. But they, they, they thought, hey, he's come, he's here. No one could do this miraculous event except the king is here. And so what happened? Jesus kind of moved to the side, got out of the crowd and went and found a way private away from them because he knew that this would only interfere with his mission. If he had thousands of people that gathered and tried to exalt him in this place and attention drawn to him, he would never be able to accomplish his mission, the mission that God gave him to come to die in our place. So Jesus has gone away. He slipped away by himself. Look at verse 16. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. Well, evidently, they got tired of waiting because in verse 17 it says, but as darkness fell and Jesus still had not come back, they got into the boat and they headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept upon them. All right, the, the sea was getting rough and rising high. The strong wind was blowing as uh, storms that take place quite often on the Sea of Galilee. Verse 19 says, they had rowed three or four miles. Now, many years ago, I had the opportunity to stand on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, a long time ago. And I think one of the, my favorite places in visiting uh, Israel was, had to do with the Sea of Galilee and the Garden of Gethsemane because these were still very much the same as they were back during the day when Jesus walked on the earth. Sea of Galilee is a beautiful, beautiful lake, but it's big. It's more like an ocean than it is a lake. And so, they, so it, the particular place where they're crossing was about 10 miles across because the scripture tells us when we study it that they had gone halfway across. So they're out in the middle. Isn't that the place where you want to be? They're out in the middle when the storm hits. So you get the picture of how things are happening. So they're at this place <clears throat> in a storm, and then it says when, when they were in this place, suddenly, <clears throat> interesting how many times the word suddenly is in scripture, suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. Natural response, next three words, they were terrified. Wouldn't you be? They were terrified. But he called out to them. You know, this is in the middle of the storm. It hasn't stilled yet. <laughs> and, and he calls out and he says, don't be afraid. I am here. And you have to understand that it was more than just saying, don't be afraid, y'all. I'm here. What he was declaring is, don't be afraid. I am here. Moses said, God, when I 
when they ask me what your name is and how to identify you, the one true living God, he says, tell them that I am. And so every time Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of the life, bread of life, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Every time he said, I am, especially to the Jew, it was a declaration that he was, I am. It was his deity. And so he said, hey guys, don't be afraid, I am is here. Isn't it great when you get to a moment and some things are happening in your life and kind of facing some things and you get a word from the Lord or you feel something down deep inside where God messes himself, he says, don't. Don't, don't get upset. Don't fear because I got this. I am. I am. So since I am, you don't have to worry. Since he is, the scripture says, whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Well, it says that they said, they said come on into the boat. They were eager to get him into the boat. Now, he wasn't sinking. They didn't have to drag him out to save him. He's walking on the water, and here's the call of their heart. Jesus, we need you. Get into this situation. Come into my situation. And the scripture says that when he got in the boat, when he got in with them, it says, immediately they arrived at the destination. Now, I went into a lot of depth in studying this because if I'm going to teach something or share something in congregation, I want it to have I want it to have biblical basis. I don't want it to be hearsay. I don't want it to be, well, I think that might be true. And you'll notice if I say something, I may say, well, in my opinion, or I believe the scripture is, is teaching this or could be applied in this way. And then there are times when you say, thus saith the Lord, this is what the scripture says. But it's interesting how the word of God is alive. I could share one scripture and the Holy Spirit, if you're open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you, I could share one passage of scripture and there would be all sorts of messages heard by you. Why, because the word is confusing? No, because it's alive and it's personal. It's personal. And I don't think I'm violating the integrity of the scripture here by pointing to this word immediately. In some studies you say, oh, that's just saying that very, very soon they arrived at the destination. I'm inclined to believe that very well could have been a supernatural acceleration that God used. Where were they when this took place? Five miles out to sea. You can't get in a rowboat, in that type of situation, been rowing or even a sailboat, you can't get five miles immediately. So I see some interesting things there. First of all, there's a very real possibility that what appeared to them as something that was harmful or troublesome, that when God was in the picture, 
and I'm talking about the storm, when God was in the picture, God even took that thing and when they surrendered the situation to him, the supernatural, the wind that was, the wind that was used that could have been destructive for them ended up getting them to their destination. Now there's a whole lot in that if you listen very carefully. I'm prone to believe that there was a supernatural acceleration that took place. I wasn't there to see it. But I think they invited Jesus into their situation. When he came into their presence, when they came with him, through whatever means, supernaturally, they got where they were going. Now I want you to apply that truth to your life. That there are times in your life when you feel stuck, when you feel delayed, when you feel like you've missed it. That God will bring about things in your life that will accelerate you to where he wants you to be. It's an important word. Everything from God's word is important. But I want to share with you my conviction is that this word and the next couple of weeks of things we're going to be looking in, how a very special and specific purpose for many of you right now and for us as a ministry right now. This is a word for this season. That's why I think we need to listen up and we need to say, Lord, what are you saying to us in this situation? So let me kind of define, we saw what, what accelerate means, but let me give a, dest, a, a, a definition. It's kind of wordy, but, but let me give you a definition of divine or supernatural acceleration. Supernatural acceleration is when is the supernatural working of God's power and ability in your life, in your ministry, in your time, in your circumstances. It's the supernatural working of God's power and ability in your life to bring things to pass at a much faster rate than humanly possible. It expedites things in your life. Divine supernatural acceleration is the spiritual enablement and empowerment that energizes us to accomplish in a short time what would normally take much longer. I believe that there are some times, I believe we should always be growing and progressing in our walk with the Lord, but I firmly believe that there are some times of supernatural acceleration that's about to take place and I believe it's about to take place in many of your lives. I don't know exactly how or what that means. Maybe you do. But there's about to be some breakthrough, some places. It's the special grace that God gives that gives us strength to outrun others sweatlessly and to fulfill God's purpose and destiny puts us in a place of kingdom living. Well, you know, Pastor, Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes time. That's absolutely true. It takes time. Rome wasn't built in a day, but God created the heavens and the earth in just six. We're not limited to what we can do or what man can do. Hallelujah. Praise God, we're not. I should give you a word this morning. It's just never too late. So I need, we need to examine what might be holding me back. 
What my, well, I want to point out three things. What may hold you back? Did you ever have one of those dreams that you had a particular appointment or time you were supposed to be somewhere? And, that, and, and you realize that. In your dream, you realize that. And you start getting ready, getting dressed, getting ready to get there. But every time you do, something happens, something happens, something happens. And it's like you're continually trying to get to where you've just absolutely got to be, but you just can't make it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe I'm just weird when it comes to that. But it's just like you get all tense because you're trying to get somewhere. And something's always interfering with that. Something's always interfering. There are some things that can hold you back. The first thing is your circumstances can hold you back. In other words, you might be stuck in a waiting season in your life. Kind of in, you know, if you've ever... If you've ever been coming in to land somewhere, you're on an airplane, you're coming in to land at the airport, but because there's some type of delay or some type of problem on the ground there, then your pilot's told to get into a holding pattern. And you find yourself there in a holding pattern and you're down low enough to where you can see things and you're wondering, hey, we were supposed to be on the ground like 20 minutes ago and, you know, we might just hear from the... From the uh, 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 pilot there, we might just hear, well, we have some slight delay or whatever, but you got all these things going on in your mind because you're supposed to be on the ground and you're still in a holding pattern. And I think many people in their Christian faith in their life, they feel like they're just circling. Man, I'm just circling. I, I, I'm in a holding pattern. Nothing's really moving in my life. I'm really not getting anywhere. What kind of circumstances can hold you back? Well, uh, disappointments. You can be just bound by your past. There have been so many disappointments and failures that it's just a mindset that you have. Your mindset, your attitude can hold you back. Wrong attitudes. Financial circumstances can hold you back. Um, spiritual laziness can hold you back. Even your living situation maybe seems to be holding you back. But, this, but we can see that oftentimes we're, we're, we're kept from being where we need to be because there's just circumstances going on in our life and they're just in our way. You, you remember that, that, that Moses, he was an Israelite there among the Egyptians and he was aware of that and then in trying to protect one of the Israelites there uh, that was discovered that he was an Egyptian, he was... Uh, an Israelite there and, and killed a man and he was kind of a hunted man there. There's a lot of things going on at that particular time in his life. And so he fled. He, moved, he, he got, out of the, got out of town. Got out of the way. And for the next, and get this, for the next 40 years he lives as a shepherd out in the desert area. 40 years. Now he was about 40 when he went there. So he's out there about 40 years, so at 80 years of age. You know, there had been a time when he felt like he could really make a difference, but it just didn't work out because circumstances just didn't work out the way he thought they would. Now at the age of 80, it still had not happened. He was not able to accomplish what he felt like he was supposed to, to accomplish. Ah, but get this. Listen now, something happened. God had not forgotten. He was not forgotten. 
He had an encounter, a supernatural encounter with God. I'm telling you that this is the one thing that stands in the way of many people experiencing all that God has for them and all that God's called them to be is that they, they really have not had, they've not experienced a, a real genuine encounter with a living God. It's mental. They believe in God. They believe the Bible is the word of God. They, they have emotions connected with that. They have a sense of faithfulness to doing the right things. But as far as really saying is I've had a, a, an encounter. I, it doesn't mean you have to have seen him or even felt great things, but you know that you've had a meeting with God. You've had an encounter. Something happened that changed you. You'll never be the same again. The burning bush. He had an encounter with God. And when this happened, it remarkably, immediately, after all these years at 80 years of age, divine acceleration took place and he was thrust into the will of God and where God wanted him to be. He had waited and he waited and he waited and circumstances were wrong and things were messed up and then the time came and boom! God accelerated him into a place of fulfilling his will for his life and to set the the Israelites free. So very important. You see, God revealed the now time to him. So circumstances can hinder you. A lot of things can hinder you But you need to also realize that even in those circumstances, you know, keep your faith intact. Surrender the situation to God. And as you walk this out, even the time that seems to have been wasted and where where you feel like it's been interfered with with being and doing what you, you, you know God has called you to do, unbeknownst to you, That time is a season of preparation where God is getting you ready for fast, for speed, for divine acceleration. So it's kind of like stand still, stand still, going about 20 miles an hour in about a 70 mile speed zone there and then boom, quickly, immediately, things began to unfold. Had you not been prepared, had you not been equipped, had things not happened in your life, you would not have been prepared for the speed. You would not have been prepared to get where God wants you to be. So there's sometimes circumstances we need to rebuke, get out of our way, lay things aside. Yes, the devil's interfering. But God can even take those circumstances and if we surrender the situation to him, he's building things inside of us so that we'll be ready when things speed up. Does that make any sense? Do you remember what Moses was doing for those 40 years? What was he doing? He was learning to be an effective shepherd. Do you not think that he learned some valuable things in shepherding millions of people? Of course he did. The first thing, the circumstances, the fresh encounter, vision, that's what we need. The second thing is you, you, you Feel like you're being held back when you, you missed, when you just feel like you've missed it. You've made some bad decisions and you're just going the wrong way. Old Testament example. What's one of the first ones that comes to mind when I say gone the wrong way? Jonah. God called him to go to Nineveh, preach uh, uh, repentance, preach revival. He says, I'm going to destroy that city. Nineveh didn't want, I mean, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want, he didn't want, he didn't really care for the people, he didn't want to be there. So he went in the wrong direction. So there was a delay. There was a delay. 
But things happened and it came to a climax there to where what seemed to be his destruction being thrown into the water became his salvation and when he was swallowed by a large fish and then thrown up on the land, on soil there, we was going the wrong way. Something happened that turned his life around and then immediately he was on shore ready to do what God called him to do. We may not have we may not have been like Jonah and saying, God, I reject that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go. I know it's what you want me to do, but I'm going to go the wrong, the other way. It may not, it may not be seen that clear to us that, that we made that kind of decision. But isn't there a possibility, isn't it a possibility that there's some areas in our life where we do know that we've missed it? We've messed up. We've done some things that we know not in God's will, it's out of his will. We've allowed disobedience to, you know, we've been to disobedience in some areas. I got a good news for you and for me. Because we've messed up in some areas of your life, you may be in a holding pattern. You don't feel like you're getting anywhere. But God has the answer for that. And that is do like Jonah Make up your mind in your situation. God, I call on you. I turn my life over to you. Forgive me. It comes simply by this. If you've missed it, repent of it. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I turn now to you. I repent. I turn around. I repent. And when you do that, what will happen? God will restore you to a place where you can be in his will and accomplishing what he's called you to accomplish. I wonder this morning if there might be some, something in your life where you've missed it. In doing that, maybe you just feel like you've wasted most of your life. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not the oldest one in the congregation, but I'm one of the oldest. We are um, we are a noble and mature group, aren't we? Hallelujah. Amen. You know, for many of us, we've been together about um, 25 years. And some of you were just young whippersnappers when we first got together. And I think when you especially when you get on up older. And by older, I'm going to say when you start moving into your 40s and 50s, particularly when you hit, I think, 50 and above. And then it begins to accelerate, it seems. Doesn't it seem like every year accelerates? I mean, by the way, look. Uh, yesterday, my oldest grandson was 20 years old. Many of you know Sam. Turned 20. Now, isn't that remarkable when you look at me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have another grandson who's here, Austin. It'll be 20 in about uh, what, eight weeks. A very memorable day, March the 23rd, which is a wonderful day. We should take a holiday. He'll be 20. He's like, oh, God, I remember when I held them in my arms. I remember when they were just little. I mean, bang, it's just like, 
it all came along, you know, and those of you who have young children, you understand this. Oh, it's just long, day by day. We're going through all those things. And I want to tell you, like I was told when I was younger, but I did, didn't really get it till I was older. And people say, well, you know, you better better enjoy that. You better enjoy and take seize the moment. Because before you know it, they're going to be grown up. And I say, oh, yeah, I know, I know. Let me tell you, before you know it, they're going to be grown up. It happens suddenly. It happens suddenly. But then as you get older, you also look back and figure out that you begin to examine times in your life where you just wasted, you wasted time. You wasted time. I've probably shared this story with you before, but it comes to mind every time I think about wasted time. And that, and that is my, my grandfather. It was my mother's dad. He was a good man, a hardworking man. Farmer, loved to plow the mule, rather do that than he had to get on a tractor. Hard worker. He'd experienced some bad things in life, done some bad things in life. But I knew him, I grew up, he's not called that anymore, but I knew him as granddaddy. And he, you know, when I, when I, I think about him, I remember times with him. But I also remember particularly when, when God began to do something in my life just as a teenager. And I remember something happening to me that was so strong to where there came a time where I felt like that I needed to go sit down with my granddaddy and talk to him about his relationship with the Lord. Now, that's a little intimidating. And I recall going over. They just lived across the road at that time. I recall going over and sit down and say, Granddaddy, I just need to talk with you something. I'm, you know, and I shared with him, you know, about a relationship with the Lord and I knew he was a good man, hardworking man, but had he ever had that experience? His word to me was, uh, no, I haven't. I haven't, but I, I, I can't, I'll do it when it's time for me to do it, and I'll know when it's time for me to do it. Well, of course, I shared with him that that's not the way it works. It's when you choose to do that, but I said, if you see the need for it now, now's the time, but he made up his mind that he would know the time. Sure enough, shortly after that, shortly after that, during a small church revival that we were in and everything, people were getting saved, and I'm sitting up toward the front just as a kid. And I'm sitting toward the front and I see somebody just coming almost running down the aisle at the end, just, just almost in a dead run and hits down to the altar praying and it's my grandfather. And he surrenders his life to the Lord. Now life wasn't perfect after that. But it was changed. Things were different. But still with all the things that had gone on because you see earlier he'd shared with me that when he was a young man he felt that God had a call on his life that he was called to preach. And he didn't do it. Never would. And I think from that standpoint, he always felt like that he missed it. He just missed it and he'd never get back to where God wanted him to be. I think he struggled with that. And one of the last times I saw him before he was in the hospital for the last time was... I remember, and there's a lot of things I've forgotten. There's a lot of things, you know, it's a strange of things that just stick. There's a lot of things I wished I could remember about the past. But there's some things that just stand out. And one of the things that stands out to me is I remember, I remember kind of loading him up because he was very sick. And afterwards had one of his legs amputated there in the hospital shortly after that. But I remember looking out as a kid out the back porch of where they lived, seeing him load up in the car and seeing him turn. And I remember the look on his face. And the look on his face will stay with me forever because to me it was saying, 
I so regret the time that I've wasted. He knew that things were coming to a close. And that hasn't uh, haunted me, but it stayed with me because I think, well, I was still a young man. I was still a teenager. I got my whole life before me. And so you begin with all of these ideas and what I'm going to do and, and, and what's going to happen, where you want to be at a certain age. And you should keep that before you. You should have that kind of drive in you. But all, after I got older and uh, uh, kids and, and even grandkids and things happening and even some struggles and bad things happening in my life and wasted time. I look back and I'm saying, dear God, I don't want to, I don't want to have the same expression on my face when it comes down. I don't have the same expression. I don't want to leave this place without knowing that I fulfilled what you called me to do here. Yes, I messed up. Yes, I missed it. Yes, there's more that I could do. But Lord, I come to you right now and I expect you to redeem it. And as the prophet Joel said, that the Lord, the Lord will, what will he do? That he'll redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. And that's a word saying that what has seems to be lost or where you've wasted time, if you'll commit that to the Lord, he'll come back and supernaturally accelerate and put things together where you can still get on course to be who he's called you to be. It may be not be exactly the way he originally designed, but God has a way of taking that and bringing you back and getting you on course. Can you hear that? Can you identify with that? Amen. And then finally, maybe held back when, you, when you've been hindered by someone else. You're stuck because someone else, the situation, maybe because the family you were born in, you feel like it just limited you. Maybe you're in a wrong relationship. There's nothing that'll hold you back any faster than getting into a bad relationship. I wish I could really, this would really ring through to our 12 and 13 year olds to our 25 year olds and of course older but beware beware of wrong relationships scripture says that bad company corrupts good character and you want to love everybody and reach out to everybody but you can't hang out with everybody even if they're popular and even it doesn't matter live in a way that honors the Lord choose friends friends that you can connect with, that you can pray with, that have a relationship with Christ. Those are the ones you want to spend most of your time with. It'll help you. It'll help you. Well, people can hinder you. Joseph in the Old Testament was hindered. He was hindered. His brothers threw him in a pit, then sold him into slavery. Then he came under the headship of, of, of Pharaoh there, if you will, and, and then thrown into prison and lied about. Over and over again, year after year after year after year, these things happen. And then suddenly, if you read the whole account, suddenly in one day's time, he went from the prison to the palace. One day. And at the end, when all of his brothers returned and there was a revelation of who he really was to them, the word comes to us, which we use so often, it says, you know what was meant for harm to me, God used for good. Amen. Man, I use that. I use that word because I believe, it's, I believe it's true. God doesn't want to harm you. I'm going to say that again. God is not the one who desires to harm you in any way. No way. 
not to make you sick, not to knock you down to get your attention. That is not God your Father. But when harm comes your way or when you face certain things or when you're going through situations, even out of those situations, God can turn it around, but he'll use those situations for good in your life. It is absolutely amazing how God will do that. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? Well, you know, you gotta have preparation in order for acceleration. And sometimes there's just some basic, on-the-ground, practical things to do to increase speed in your life. Normally, if you're gonna do that in your car, you need a tune-up and you need alignment. We need a spiritual tune-up and we need to get aligned with His Word. So we unpack the baggage, the weight that drags us down of past sins or habits and things. We unpack them, confess the Lord that keeps us from getting our destination. We, 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 do, we, we unpack it, we, we, we get rid of it, we lay it down. It's important, if you're going to prepare for acceleration, you've got to get to a place where you don't neglect worship or the word or prayer. It's got to be a vital part in your life. You'll be, you'll be hindered from acceleration if you, if you compromise. The tendency today of so many believers is to compromise, to become like everyone else, to adapt the standards of the world, to be popular, to be accepted. Political correctness is not only at work in government and in society is at work in the church. We have to beware of this. We're not supposed to be like super saints or holier than thou, but I'm concerned that, that Christians today, that many Christians today are compromising in some things that they're doing, some things that's happening. They're compromising. They're saying, oh, it's no big deal. There's, there's no harm in it. You can't see what the scripture says specifically, I can't do that. I'll say what I've said before. If you feel pressured that you've got to defend something that's going on that you think that maybe is wrong, if you've got to try to defend it, there's a good, good chance that there is something wrong with it. And there may not be anything wrong with that specific thing that's happening. It may be wrong for it in your life. Because it may be hindering your witness. It may be hindering your witness. Compromise. Compromise. It's a real problem. Keep you from being where you need to be. Distractions. Distractions will hinder you from accepting. Oh, we, you know, we there's no even, don't even need to expand on that. Bitterness and resentment, unforgiveness will hold you back from God moving you. Bad or wrong relationships will. Strive will. Unbelief and fear will. We need to keep our hearts alert, free from bitterness, and Stay positioned for blessing. Interesting verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 36. What happened here is that Hezekiah and all the people began to gather and they were coming to worship and they're bringing all their offerings here. It was a wonderful thing where it was like we say in the spiritual realm, we say in the religious world, there was a move of God. You know, that's a term a lot of people don't understand, but for those of us kind of brought up in the church, they say, we understand what we mean when we say there's a move of God. God's always moving. When we say move of God, we're saying that God is at, as at work, is, is active in doing something. He's moving in a particular situation. Well, God was moving in people's hearts. I've seen it happen in a lot of different, I've seen it happen in worship, where as you worship, the Holy Spirit's there, been there all along, people there, people are worshiping. But then during that worship, music doesn't change necessarily. Nothing seems to change except 
there's a move of God. And as you're worshiping, and if you're in tune with the Holy Spirit at all, you've been enjoying worship, but you get to a point to where as you're, as you're worshiping, I, I don't want, I don't, most of the time you feel it. You feel the presence of the Lord. Now you've got to learn to separate between your emotional feelings and stuff and the presence of the Lord. But you, there's just a sense. Sometimes it's just like, it's like it just goes over your body. You just sense there's a presence there. And I've seen it. I've seen this happen where people are worshiping and they just begin to move. No one's inviting them to the front necessarily. No one's calling for prayer, nothing. But they just begin to move. Revival usually happens that way. People begin to move. It happens. The other way I've seen it happen when the move of God is I've been in places where it comes to where people, the Holy Spirit moves on them to give. And this is what's happening here. It's supernatural. The people just begin to bring their offerings. This happens two or three times in the scripture where people are bringing offerings to where in one circumstance they say, whoa, 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 don't bring any more. We've got more than we can use right now. Isn't that amazing? And so they were bringing their offerings to the Lord, their sacrifices. I've been in situations to where just in pure worship, no one gets up and says, well, we just really need to take an offering today or anything like that. But I've seen in the midst of it, people just begin to come and put their money, just lay down their, their money on the floor before them. God has just moved on them to do that. It's amazing. It's amazing. This is kind of what happened during this day. God had moved on people that were gathering to worship. And look at this, look at this. In Amplified Version, it says, then Zezekiah and Hezekiah, then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because of what God had prepared for the people, for the thing came about suddenly. It's just like people are coming and then whew, something happens suddenly. What about it today? Got any extra baggage you need just to lay down? Maybe to repent or turn away from strife or resentment or greed or unbelief. To make worship and the word more a part of your life, to be a priority in your life. God will accelerate your life if you'll do those things. He'll move you spiritually. He'll move you into places. So very important. I want to close, if we've got it, I want to close by making a declaration together. We've got that, right? Won't you stand with me, please? This is in your heart. I want you to declare it with me. Are you ready? Let's say it out loud. This is our declaration for the Lord. Amen. Here we go. I believe I will see supernatural acceleration in my life. Breakthrough is coming. Things will happen suddenly. I will be at the right place at the right time meeting the right people to accomplish God's purpose in my life. The blessings and favor of God will overtake me. Get that down inside of you. Write it down if you want to. And every morning when you get up, declare that over your life. And we say, dear God, change my heart. Help me to be aligned. Help me to be open to correction. Lord, shift the circumstances in my life. Remove the obstacles in my life and manifest your great grace to move me forward, Father. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody in the house says amen. amen.
Amen. Could you give a good shout to the Lord before we go today? Thank you, Lord. Yes, thank you, Lord. 